the prettiest hanging I've ever seen. your face. <laughs> this is so stupid. I know, because we were so funny earlier. Okay. Okay. Uh, welcome to this myth again, the show where we talk about myths, supernatural beings, and conspiracy theories. I'm Kim. And I'm Jill. And tonight we are talking about Wendigos. Or Wendigos. Okay, it's my personal horror story. That's what it is. I thought your personal horror story was zombies. Close enough, girl. Close enough. We have to apologize. We're recording in a different location tonight, and there's probably... Two dogs. There's two dogs and a host of other background noises <laughs> that we can't control, so... Sorry in advance. If there's a train, there's a train, okay? If there's school auditorium cheering because they won the football game... Sorry, I'm like the only two-story house in a four-block radius. Yeah, so kind of out of our control. Yeah. Anyways, so we're talking about Wendigos. Um, and so we paired our Wendigo episode with a wine called... Wait, are you going to talk about what a Wendigo is first? Am I going to talk about what a Wendigo is? I don't know. Or? You made me do that last week. Well, that's because nobody fucking in their right mind would know what brown mountain lights are. Well, maybe not everyone knows what Wendigos are. Fine. Wendigos <laughs> are a mythical man-eating monster or evil spirit from Native American folklore. Thank God I said folklore, right? Not folklore. <laughs> For the millionth time. Uh, it hails from the forests of the Atlantic coast and the Great Lakes region of the United States and Canada and comes from Algonquin-speaking tribes such as Ojibwe, I'm sorry, such as Ojibwe, Sotos, Cree, Nakasapi, and Inu people. Cool. Okay? Alright. Now we can talk about our now wine. Now we can talk about the wine, which are bought again, so fingers crossed it doesn't taste like moldy vagina this time. <laughs> so I bought the wine called Wait. Predator. Oh, are we having John read it? Yep, we're um, going to have producer John read it with his sick voice. It's sexy, sick voice. Yep. You get to go home to that. <laughs> Our wine this week is Predator. It is a Cabernet Sauvignon from 2014. What food best complements a fine Cabernet? Ladybugs prefer fresh aphids and mites. That's why we encourage their dining on harmful insects in our vineyards. Natural predation is just one of the many eco-friendly strategies we're committed to at Predator Wines. Alright, thank you, producer John, for that <laughs> amazing recording in your sick voice. <laughs> We're all sick here over at this myth again. Yep. Jill started it. I am not going to take ownership for that. You brought it to D&D. You started it. <laughs> okay. I tried. You're the one that works with kids. I tried so hard to be careful. Alright, anyways, I'm going to open this wine now. Finally. Quit squeaking in your goddamn chair. I can't help it. These are squeaky chairs and my butt is sweating in them. Okay, if it sounds like I'm farting, I'm not. It's just the chair. <laughs> I give you nice, comfy computer chairs and all you can do is bitch. <laughs> okay? Just saying. You could be a little I like bit more my graceful. uncomfortable folding chairs at the other place. <sighs> I hate those chairs. They're simple. Well, that was an unexciting pop. Yeah, I didn't even... It was just kind of a... <laughs> yeah. Kind of like our evening. <laughs> like a... <laughs> that sums up our... The squeak sounds are better than the pop. I was going to wait for you to be done with that and then keep talking. Okay. The moment of truth. Did I buy a wine that actually is drinkable or did I buy shit again? Okay. 
Um, you should tell him about my test. No. Shut up so we can actually record this goddamn podcast. We're 30 minutes into it and have Jack fucking diddly. Well, we got through the introduction at least. My test was on Bigfoot. No. She's going to ban you from the room, John. You better be careful. This is my house. My laws. I will put you with the dogs. They're scary. <laughs> They're what? They're friendly. They're Are big babies. Dogs? They have wet noses and they stick them in my like places. What? <laughs> they like come over and like a nose appears. And I'm like, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want their nose. It's okay. Back to the wine. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. With our metal and plastic cups. So probably I would no not one heard give that. you glass of sorry. Hey, you were the one that broke the glass. Fuck no, I was not the one that broke the glass. John broke the glass. Well, whoever broke the glass, it wasn't me. I can deal with a glass. You threw the gummy bear. Stop talking. John broke the glass. Jill threw the gummy bear. I was just trying to catch the gummy bear in my mouth and it missed. Let's just agree we're all at fault, and I can handle a glass. And now your mom won't let me have wine glasses at your house. Now we have to use the cheap wine glasses. I think that it maybe should be chilled a little bit. If it was just in a wine cooler, it would probably have a little bit of a better flavor. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't do enough preparation. But it's not bad. It's definitely better than the Seeker. For sure. <laughs> Which is wildly worse this than... One... The infinite monkey theorem. Stop ranting on that wine. It was good. It was fine. All right. I will admit it was fine. It was Compared a good wine. Compared to the seeker, it was fine. I, I would drink serve it, again. it at a party. It was good. I would drink it alone. But it was infinitely better than the seeker. The seeker was straight was that up. a pun? <laughs> I never mean to do the puns that I do, okay? I never mean them. If I say a pun, it's an accident. Okay. Straight up. The Seeker, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know what happened. It's okay. You know, sometimes it's just the flavors aren't there. Sometimes you just get a moldy vagina in your mouth and you just need to stop. <laughs> you just need to think about your life choices for a minute. <laughs> How did I, I get here? I don't think we'll ever be wine connoisseurs. Okay. Probably not. I actually kind of like this wine, though. The Predator. It's got a interesting fruity afternote to it. Like, you drink it and it sort of tastes... Has like a little bit of bitterness, and then in the after note, it's got a little bit fruity. of tang to it. A little bit, yeah. A little ting. <laughs> All right. Anyways, we're talking about the Wendigo. You will cut that. All right. I if will. we're cutting your cough, we're cutting my burps. Okay. Yeah. I kept your burp in the last one, so I won't keep it in this one. That would just be cruel. Okay. So the word Wendigo means evil spirit that devours mankind. And in 1860, a German explorer equated the word with the English cannibal or cannibalism. As with most supernatural creatures, there is a variation depending on the group you ask. However, the Wendigo is consistently, in every story, seen as a malevolent, cannibalistic being and is strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. Winter is coming. Winter has come, and it's now eating you. <laughs> In most legends, the Wendigo is extremely emaciated. Its skin is pulled tight over its bones, and its bones are pushing out against its skin. Its eyes are pushing back into its sockets, tattered. Wait, its eyes are pushing back into its sockets? What does that look like? Okay, it's very sunken eyes. Okay. Just imagine that, okay? Like they're being sucked into its head? I... Assume so? I've okay. never actually seen a Wendigo, although I have had trouble sleeping because of thoughts of a Wendigo. <laughs> you chose the episode. Because I have to face my fears, okay? Alright, they have tattered and bloody lips, gray skin with an odor of decay or death. Kind of like a zombie. You know why I fear it now. I have kinomorphophobia, which is the, the fear of the moving dead. Okay. Okay. It's a serious fear. It's a real phobia. I'm not discounting it. I don't know why, but zombies just are my thing or anything that kind of resembles zombies. Like the feral ghouls on Fallout. I'm out. What are you going to do during the apocalypse? Kill myself. <laughs> Great. First one to blow my brains out right here. 
not gonna deal Come with that on. shit. Come on, hell, you no. could be a badass hell with goddamn like katana no. swords, slashing off heads and stuff. I have never used a katana sword in my life. I don't know why you think I would be badass with them. That's when you learn is during the end of the world. You learn how to use a katana sword. No, no. Okay, I I will be the person you just kill with. I'm not dealing with zombies. Okay. If it moves and it's dead, I'm out. I have never found vampires attractive. Are vampires technically dead? Yeah. They're, the, they're considered the undead? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll take a werewolf any day, but a vampire? Fuck that shit. <laughs> Anyways, back to the Wendigo. The creature is thought to be gigantic, uh, standing at over 15 feet tall in some tales, and whenever it ate a person, it would grow bigger... Um, in proportion to the meal it just ate so that it could never be satisfied, forever stuck in a state of gluttonous starvation. It is sometimes described as having glowing yellow eyes, long fangs, a long tongue, yellowish skin, which is, I guess is opposed to the gray skin, but they have also been described as hairy, which is why sometimes they're related to Bigfoot stories of the Northeast instead of actual Wendigos. Another version of the tale describes a huge monster covered or made of, covered in or made of ice with the human that it once was frozen and trapped inside where its heart should be. In this version, some of the legends tell the human can be successfully rescued from the monster, but in most, the only way to escape from and kill the monster is to kill the human inside. I've also heard of, uh, like, a human-type Wendigo, like, where it looks like a normal human, but its heart is made of ice. Yeah, I've heard of that one, too. Uh, there's another variation of the story that describes them that is so thin that the only way you can actually see them is in they're facing you head-on. In recent years, they have been described as having antlers or a deer head. I, however, do not subscribe to this version. Well, uh, you don't, do you? Because I think the legend is just a little too Hollywood. It's thought to come from a amalgamation of Wendigo and the Navajo skinwalker myth. And filmmaker Larry... Fesenden? Fesensen? Fesenden? Fesenenden. Fesesenenden. Sure, let's go with that one. Made a Wendigo movie in 2001, and the source from his monster is thought to have been a tale his teacher told him of a Wendigo-like creature that had a deer head, and then like a mashup of other Wendigo stories that he came across. I don't think the film was very popular, but his tale was incredibly popular. I watched the trailer for that film, and honestly, not 2001 material. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. That was, like, 1996 material. It Even worse than that, it was just horrible. It did have that little kid from Malcolm in the Middle, though. That's true. The demon one. I loved that little kid. <laughs> oh my god, I wanted him as my son. You want him as your son. I want a terrible little monster child. Why? I don't know. I have to deal with terrible little monster children on a daily basis, so... In my job, if a child is being annoying, I just walk out of the room. Lucky you. I have to walk into the room. That sucks. Yep. Your life sucks. <laughs> I'm doing good things. Yeah, you are. Your job is much more important than mine. <laughs> hey, people need books, too. Yeah, they do. They do need their books in order or else they will grow really cranky and complain to everyone. Mm -hmm. So anyways, do you want to know how you can become a Wendigo Jill? I do. First, you become overcome with a powerful greed. Okay. A greed That's for, one way. For anything? Just like, for anything. Just greed. Just okay. want it all. Everything. Just need I it. I want it all. All right. The other way to become a Wendigo is to eat somebody. A human person. Okay. Cannibalism. So in times of famine, the human will to survive has led people to do some pretty, like, disgusting, nasty shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw off their own arm, eat their whole family. It's pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other stories. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of stories that sh people will do, but how you become a Wendigo is you can eat somebody. And then you just automatically turn into a Wendigo. And then the Wendigo spirit will possess you, and that's when you turn into a Wendigo. So although cannibalism in Native American culture is rare, many tribes, um, especially in the Northeast, were could be cut off by snow and ice storms in the winter. And Snow and ice what? Snow, snow and ice storms. 
Um, and it is thought that the Wendigo legend came about to prevent tribes from abort- resorting to eating each other in hard times. So, like, as a, a fable, sort of. Yeah, like, don't do this, kids, or the Wendigo is gonna come eat you and make you eat other people. And then you're just fucked. And then you're a scary zombie thing. Yeah, and then you will terrify Kim into her... Ultimate demise. Waking nightmares. So, to reinforce the seriousness of the Wendigo threat, some tribes would perform a ceremonial dance called Wendigo Ken Zimowin. I really hope I pronounced that right. So this dance involves wearing masks and dancing backwards around a drum. I would totally fall over. (laughs) Yes, you would. I have seen your coordination. It is zero. (laughs) Uh, In either scenario, greed or cannibalism, it is believed that the person who is possessed by the evil Wendigo spirit is then transformed into the hideous, scary Wendigo beast. Sometimes permanently, sometimes they can transform back into a human at will. At will, like a werewolf? Yeah, well, no, werewolves turn with the moon. Supposedly, but I mean, like, they would be a were-Wendigo? Yes. I don't want to give you a firm answer on this. That's just one of the stories. I'm just imagining that they're like, Wendigo power on. And then they transform and go attack people. No, I'm pretty sure it's just when they're hungry and they see a person that they want to go eat and kill, they turn into a Wendigo. Other times they're just like fucking around. But they're forced. always hungry. So whenever they see a person. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. I'm questioning this. Really? <laughs> just at this point. Just now. Turning to an evil spirit? No, that's totally possible. But yeah, that totally. they can turn back into you a human? I don't know. No, no, it's that back and forth shit that just, it gets me. Werewolves? Yeah, maybe. Wendigos? No, no, not a chance. Definitely not. I'm not buying it. All right. That's always where it gets you. <laughs> just the nitty gritty details. <laughs> That's where it's important, man. You gotta, you gotta iron out the nitty gritty details. All right. Anyways, that's all I really have for Wendigo background and legend. Mm-hmm. From what I was reading, there's there's not really a, a good comprehensive history of the Wendigo Mm-mm. mythology, and I think that's probably due to all the white explorers that came in and just decided, like... This is the myth we're going with? Yeah, like, it's hard to... F- it's hard to find actual Native Americans exploring this mythology. Mm-hmm. It's mostly white people that are reporting on other white people who have heard about etc. etc. So well, that's probably mostly due to the fact that Native Americans didn't really have a written history. Yeah, it was more oral traditions until they were given white language and forced to write down their history. Probably. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what are oral traditions? Sorry to say, they have not lasted as long as white written history. From what I was reading, the the Native American culture, or the Native American folklore, didn't really describe the Wendigo as having any distinct shape or form. It was just, a, they described it as a spirit. I did find one source that described it as like an ice monster with a human inside. Okay. So, there's that. I am not talking about that story too much. Just mentioning it right now. Why? Because it's very hard to sum up and be accurate to it. And I just didn't want to like do the story to service. Huh. So you're just mentioning it and then leaving people hanging. and leaving it. I do have it in my sources where the story I found is. Okay. You're going to have to pinpoint which one that is if people want to go and read it. Because you just like dangled something and then walked away. Dangle it in front of your face. Yeah. You bitch. Um, I know exactly where it came from. It came from... I should probably open this up instead of just reading the URL. (laughs) HTTPS dot dot slash slash www. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) It's some dot edu. It's the only dot edu I have. Okay. Okay. At least it's dot edu. Yes. It's a reputable source. Ojibwe oral tradition. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Sounds interesting in that one. Anywho, back to my first story. Story time! Story time! Yay! I feel like we should have some music to announce it. Da, da, da. I'm just waiting for you to talk now. Okay. Because I don't have any music to go with <laughs> story time. So the first story I have is from around 1920s in Fort Kent, 
Alberta, Canada, a young doctor named Thomas Burton moved to Fort Kent with his wife, Kate, during the First World War. Um, they moved from England. He starts up a practice for people of the town and he does quite well from himself until the town is struck with smallpox. Uh-oh. Which is brought in via rats. I don't know where the rats came from, though. So the pox infects half the town, and the doctor can pretty much do nothing. He knows that most of them are going to die. Smallpox vaccines had been created at this point, but I guess maybe they weren't in wide use. Oh, I, really I actually know. didn't realize that they'd already been created. 1796, I think, was when the first smallpox vaccine came. Oh, really? Came that for really? White settlers for Western, the Western world, yes. Huh. That it is came surprising. from. I would have imagined it would be in like the late 1800s or something. Yeah, they got it from injecting people with cowpox. Huh. Yeah. Well, okay then. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so he knows most of them are gonna die. His wife gets sick and she dies. So the doctor locks himself in his house. He stops accepting patient and he stops accepting patients and builds a shrine with his wife's lifeless body. This is when the Wendigo spirit preys on his weak mind and soul. And he begins to crave human flesh. Yeah, he's locked himself in his house and has no food. With a dead body. With a dead body. Yep. What else are you going to eat? The doctor goes insane. He begins inviting people to his home. And the town by this point has no idea that the wife has actually died. So one after another, they go in. He kills them. He eats them. Town starts getting suspicious because... Everyone that goes to visit him is dying. Yeah, there's a bunch of disappearances and nobody knows what happens. So at this point, the doctor getting wise to people's suspicion goes on a complete killing spree. Oh. Killing and eating people left and right. So this happens in 1920. In 1921, there is a total of 11 people that are still alive in the town. He of ate 150. The, he ate the whole freaking town. He ate 139 people. How? And then he apparently he just fucks off into the forest somewhere. Didn't we have a conversation about how many calories are in a human body? Mm-hmm. I don't remember when, but I'm pretty sure we did have this conversation. And there's like, what, 50,000 or something? He must have been fat. That's a lot 130 of, people? That's a lot of people to eat in one year. That is where I started to lose faith with this myth. Okay. And so I looked into it. I, I saw this myth or this story on like four different websites. Written the same way. Written the exact same way. So I'm like, where is this coming from? I looked into it. It's actually completely false. Oh, well, that makes more sense. So this is actually taken from the plot of a mockumentary called The Lost Town of Fort Kent. Oh. And it's by Charles, or I'm sorry, it's by Leslie Chivers. Come on, Leslie. Yeah, he he never actually made the documentary. He kind of failed in the documentary making process. So he just wrote the script and then was like, this is a great story. Yeah. And then that's it. But he did mention on his website that he thinks that so many people find it... He finds it funny that so many people think it's real, and he's like, no, I just made all this shit up. I would find that hilarious, too. <laughs> I was I was like, I wrote all the notes for this. This is why I kept this in the podcast, because I wrote all the notes for this, and I'm like, I gotta find corroborating evidence for this. This is just... I can't just, like, 139 people, that's too good, right? You can't... I don't even think it's physically possible. I don't and either. And then... What would the people be doing? They're just sitting in their houses and waiting for their turn? The only reason I could think it might be possible is most of them are sick with smallpox. But then he would get smallpox. Right? Or are Wendigo's immune to smallpox? I have no idea. Okay. Well, I mean, we already determined that it was made up, so it doesn't matter. We don't need to... Yeah, the only way I thought it was possible was, okay, maybe he's just, like, really good, really strong, and people are sick. Just totally made up. Yeah. I mean, I think people would be catching on, and even with smallpox, they'd probably gather their guns at this point. Yeah. Just post up by the door and fire. Right. Anyone that walks in. Sorry, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit, I shot you. I told you the secret knock. Alright, anyways, that's my fake story for the evening. I have some other real, actual stories. Some real Wendigos. Well, I have a real Wendigo hunter. Oh. So, Jack Fiddler was a very famous Wendigo hunter. 
Uh, he was a Cree shaman who was able to conquer animals and he defended his people against some spells, I guess. Um, some spells? That's what it said. It said some spells. <laughs> he was an animal conqueror and he defended his people against some spells. Conjurer. Oh, con- sorry. Animal conjurer. Yes, not a conqueror. You said conqueror. Did I say conqueror? I've had like three glasses of wine. <laughs> okay. okay. So he... It's very ambiguous though. Yeah, he's most famous for being able to beat Wendigos. Um, before his suicide in 1907, Jack claims that he killed over 14 Wendigos, or people who were on the verge of becoming one. Some of these Wendigos were sent by rival shamans, but it was usually the family of a sick person, or sometimes the sick person themselves, who would ask for Jack and his brother to euthanize them. Euthanize them, like... Like euthanasia. Yeah, but I'm sure they didn't have... No, he would kill them. He'd just go slit their throat. I don't know how he killed them. There are some specific rites that need to be done. It's like a... It's a ceremony. Ceremony for them. Okay. Okay, or something. Um, anyways, 1907, two Northwest Mounted Police, or Mounties? Canada. Love you, Canada. <laughs> they hear of Jack Fiddler and his brother Joseph from an in-law you mean of his theirs. Son. It's, it's the brother, Okay. Okay. Okay, so they hear from an in-law of theirs named Norman Ray. Uh, the brothers are arrested and charged with the murder of Wasaka Pique, Joseph's daughter-in-law. Jack admits to killing the woman, but claims that she was about to become a Wendigo and would have eventually murdered others. Uh, the two are arrested. At this point, newspapers pick up the story. There's sensationalized headlines. Some cops are trying to, like, get advancements in their career. It's a whole shabacle. Yeah, I'm not doubting their story necessarily, but isn't that the perfect alibi to say, oh, she was becoming a Wendigo. I had to, I had to kill her. It is, but also I... This is probably them, like, doing their job. Oh, no, for sure. I'm Like I said, I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying, in this time frame, you could have maybe gotten away with a lot more and just saying, oh, my, my husband, he was turning into a Wendigo. I had to I had to kill him. Obviously, there are probably some hoaxers. September 30th, Jack Fiddler escapes custody um, while he's on a walk outside. And during this time, he hangs himself from a nearby tree and is found later that day. He's 87 when he died. Wait, hang on, hang on. You're saying Jack Fiddler killed himself? That's what the story I said. No, no, no. The one I read, he was hanged because he killed this woman. He and his son were hanged. Okay, this, all the stories I've read are Jack Fiddler kills himself before his trial, and his brother dies in prison. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> We're gonna have to see whose source is better. Yeah, I don't remember what source mine came from, but yeah, he went to trial. He was convicted of murder, and I think it was because the the woman they killed hadn't become, like, full Wendigo or something, so or, I, don't, I don't know exactly why. The but. story I have that his, is he kills himself. Why would he kill himself? Because he doesn't want to be tried by white law. That's why. So okay. the story I have is that Joseph still goes to trial and an eyewitness, an eyewitness, Angus Ray, testifies that Joseph's daughter-in-law was killed while in a deep pain and while incurably sick in accordance with their customs. When asked further, Ray admits that Jack and Joseph's Jack and Joseph were the ones usually called to euthanize the very sick and prevent Wendigos. And despite this, Joseph is still convicted and sentenced to death. But further appeals grant him his freedom three days too late because he died while in custody. So it sounds like it's just a case of white people not respecting Native American culture. Yeah, it really does. The last story I have is a very interesting tale. It's very recent, um, from like last year. And it's from a website called Darkness Prevails, which is a podcast. It's also a website about real ghost stories, creepypasta, and paranormal sightings. Creepypasta? I don't know what creepypasta is, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> it sounds like little ghost-shaped noodles. It really does. Like ghost-shaped I really want to know what creepypasta is. If anybody knows, tweet me. <laughs> Anyways... So the story is by Tricia Went Tricia Wirt, sorry. She says her that English is not her mother language and she apologizes for that, so I'm not going to uh, make fun of her for her bad grammar because I get I it, girl. Not. I get it, you know? 
English is my mother language, and I still language. I Good job. Still suck at it. Okay. Can't even leave it talk in there right. because I can't talk right because I don't know how to talk. I was never taught as a child how to use words. Apparently. Anyways, again, if you hear the chair like making farting noises, it's it's not me. It's totally her. She's just farting. <laughs> She's just farting up a storm over here. Anyways. She also says that this is 100% real and is still happening to oh, her. Oh, you know it's true. She says it's 100% real. Obviously. Um, the page it comes from says it was posted the 19th of April 2018, but I think this is just when the story was like put up on the internet because mm. there, when I checked the website, there was like five on that page from April 19th, 2018. Mm. And she also says it happened last month in October. So I think she's writing this November. Okay. Um, so it's just, you know, backdated to that. Um, so she's a woman living in Quebec, Canada. Her life is, according to her, full of strange experiences, but she lives her life like a normal person, quote, until the last month, end quote. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so last October, she has a nightmare of a ton of blood all over her room, and she hears a Latin prayer over and over again, and she wakes up covered in sweat. The next night, she has another strange dream that she's on a train station near her home and that she wasn't alone. She was with an unknown male and with eyes the color of cold silver and they glowed like cat's eyes. Okay. He also smelled like frankincense with a touch of jasmine. Sounds sexy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He tells her something, but she can't remember what he says. Um, she just remembers the rage in his eyes and she's also hearing the prayer again. And she remembers that one of the words in the prayers is tenebris, which is Latin for darkness. So creepy. Anyways, in the dream, a woman passes them and warns her to leave right now. And then the strange man just grabs her and pushes her onto the train tracks. And then she vanishes underneath the train. So sounds like a really creepy dream. Yeah. Two nights in a row. Thank God the only dreams I ever have are about nacho cheese and Steve Irwin. Lucky. <laughs> I dream about work. I never get to escape. Mm, I have the best dreams. Um, anyways, so the next day she goes to work. She feels st- sick. Her stomach hurts. Like uh, in her words, she says it has lava fire on it. And she felt dizzy. So she calls in sick. She goes home. She returns to sleep thinking that will will pass, but it doesn't. It gets worse. That night she tries to eat, but she can't. She says the food burns inside her. Everything also smells bad and tastes awful. Um, she goes to the doctor. The doctor finds nothing wrong with her, which I can so relate to. That is the worst when you are in pain and you know something wrong and you go to the doctor and they're just like, I can't find anything wrong with you. I can relate. I've had it happen and it's just, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's worse than the pain itself, not knowing what is wrong with you. Well, it was worse than my pain. Anyways, so the doctors are no help. She can't eat without pain. The only food that she can digest is raw meat or barely cooked. And she remarks that she knows it sounds crazy and disgusting. And I'm like, yup, that's, Totally yeah, disgusting. Raw meat. How I know I would never be a Wendigo is because I would straight up starve to death before I eat raw meat, besides sushi. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to be with you there. I don't think I can ever re- eat raw meat. Mm-mm. 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 No. I can't eat rare steak or even medium rare. It has to be fully cooked. I can't even eat raw chicken. You're not supposed to eat raw no, chicken. No, you're not. The texture's I can't wrong. eat raw anything. Yeah. Except for sushi. I can't if eat it's raw fish, sushi. I can eat raw sushi, but other than that, no. I can't eat raw sushi. It has oh, to no. be cooked. It's really annoying when we go to sushi and you're just like, I don't want to eat anything but a California roll. I want the cooked stuff. (laughs) All right. So she says since last month, um, I'm just going to assume at this point she's in November 2017. Okay. She's lost 20 pounds. She feels cold all the time. Like, girl, it's winter. Of course you feel cold. First of all, you're in the ultimate diet. You're in Canada. It's cold. I'm in California and I'm cold all the time. Okay. (laughs) She also has gained really good hearing and smell. Like she can hear people in the street and like smell things really, really far away. Yeah. Your body is starving. Every sense is on alert. Oh, is that how it works? Yes. Your body is- I've never let myself starve for that long. Your body goes into 
hunting mode when you're starving. Oh. Well, she can't work anymore. She tries to keep a low profile, but like she thinks people are like looking at her strangely on the street. She says doctors can't find anything wrong with her physically or psychologically. And I'm sorry, what psychological, what psychologist are you going to? Because reading the story, I could at least find one eating disorder. Yeah. Like okay. there's something psycho psychologically wrong. I mean, unless you're buying into the whole Wendigo thing, then... Jill, what's your psychological diagnosis? My personal one? Yeah. You have the psych degree. Oh, of her? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were asking, like, what my diagnoses were. No, I'm not asking for <laughs> your personal medical history. That'd be um, rude on a podcast, okay? I don't know. I'd have to consult the DSM. Really? It sounds like she's suffering some from some sort of psychosis. Of a Wendigo short? Of the Wendigo type. <laughs> We'll get into that. Sorry, let me finish chewing my donut and I'll continue. Okay. This last part I'm going to quote for you because I really just can't sum it up in a way that's better than her own words. For those specialists, I'm really normal, but inside me, I know something is wrong. Very wrong. I told you my story with a lowly hope that some of your followers may be known who or what invite himself in my house into me. I listen some of the stories on your channel and the Wendigo thing seems to be the whom visit me in my dreams. As I write this line, I feel so cold again, and the night is coming, and with it, the nightmare comes back. I see him again tonight in my dreams, and tomorrow I will feel out of my body again. I don't know where he dragged me, but I had no choice to follow him. I don't afraid of him anymore, but I also know that I am only the shadow of a person I was before, and I don't know how coming back. So the darkness envelops me, and I cry tonight for your help. So one thing I noticed about her story is she never actually talks about craving human flesh. No, she doesn't. Which but is I kind of a characteristic it... symptom of Wendigoism. Yeah. Like, I just found it to be a very interesting story, okay? She's claiming to be a Wendigo because she can't eat people food anymore. She's totally dead by now. I mean, if you're not eating, then yeah. But Even I'm... if you're eating raw meat, yeah. Yeah, like you're going to get some sort of di disease. The raw meat thing is definitely... It's different, but it's not characteristic of Wendigo behavior. Wendigo behavior is can considered cannibalistic. Yeah. I just find it interesting that she has like these strange dreams and some like, oh my god, I can't eat meat, anything but raw meat, and I'm turning into a Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope she finds peace. I really do too. I thought it would segue perfectly into your Wendigo psychosis. It does, actually. Segment. <laughs> Wendigo psychosis. So I tried to explore this topic as much as I could from all sorts of different perspectives, like anthropological, philosophical, psychological. The first thing I consulted was my DSM, of course. And Wendigo psychosis is not a recognized disorder among the psychiatric community. It's not in the DSM. There's no variation of it in the DSM. So I can't eat someone tomorrow and say, I have, I have Wendigo psychosis. I'm sorry. Lock me up. No, out. you can't use that as your defense in trial. Sorry. Damn it. You can use uh, criminally insane. I'm pretty sure eating someone can be considered criminally insane. Possibly. In almost all cases. Quite possibly. <laughs> so within the DSM, they do have a section that uh, is attributed to describing different cultures. And within this is something called culture-bound syndrome. And among both psychologists and anthropologists, Wendigo psychosis is considered a culture-bound syndrome. What that means is it's an illness that's characterized by a combination of psychiatric and somatic symptoms that are recognized within a specific society or culture. In this case, it would be within the Algonquian-speaking peoples of mm -hmm. northeastern Canada. Okay. So different cultures find different ways to communicate suffering, behavioral problems, problematic thoughts and emotions, and a lot of these stories of the Wendigo started to occur, or they began popping up before psychology and especially Western medicine in terms of that kind of psychiatric treatment really filtered into Native American cultures. Mm -hmm. So they came up with their own terms and their own language to describe the types of things they were seeing. And among a lot of anthropologists, they they consider Wendigo psychosis to possibly be a catch-all phrase for a lot of different mental illnesses in Native American cultures. Like criminally insane? Yeah, so there has been documentation of people with depressive symptoms or 
different psych uh, schizophrenic disorders making statements or even engaging in uh, cannibalistic behavior. I want to be careful with saying that in that people who have depressive disorders or schizophrenic disorders aren't just cannibals. Are, they aren't cannibals. They aren't all dangerous people. That's not the Some case of them at just all. Some see stuff, okay? It's fine. Some it's, of them are just sad. Not all of them resort to eating flesh. Yeah, just in some cases, and these are very rare cases, they will make statements or engage in different cannibalistic behaviors. So if these types of things were occurring in the Algonquian-speaking tribes, then it's understandable that they would attribute it to this mythology that's already been created around the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Also, the Wendigo is not an excuse for you to start eating people. Exactly. It's not okay, people. Don't eat other people. The symptoms that signal someone is about to turn into a Wendigo is melancholy, refusing to eat available food, insomnia, the insatiable desire for human flesh, and they start looking at other people around them as wild animals. I have like five or four out of five of those symptoms just in my daily life. What? The only one I don't have is, like, the desire to eat human flesh. When do you refuse to eat? You're eating a donut. When I'm depressed, I don't want to eat. I literally have no cravings for food. So I lose saying... all interest in food, which is, like, the only reason I live. So That's what happens to a lot of people when they're having depressive symptoms. So is, like, 90% of that list. True. Yeah. 80%, actually. But yes, that's a very good point, is a lot of those symptoms are also symptoms of other common disorders. Just depression. The major ones, you know, like desire for human flesh and looking at other people as if they're wild animals, like, you know, maybe not Well, other people are just weird, okay? They're wild animals no matter what. <laughs> Do you remember the movie, um... Mean Girls? Of course. When she's... I've watched that recently, actually. Yeah, like, oh, you remember the parts I'm thinking of then, when she's, like, oh, yeah, seeing the, the cattiness of high school as wild animals, animals in the wild. Yep. Alright, so the tricky thing about Wendigo psychosis is pretty much all of the records have been written by explorers, traders, missionaries, anthropologists. There's not a lot of reports of people who are actually living in these tribes reporting on the psychosis that was occurring. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to di differentiate between what's specific to the culture and what's a westernized version of what's going on. Yeah. The first recorded case of Wendigo psychosis is from 1634 to 1635 that takes place in Three Rivers, Quebec. It was recorded by Father Lejeune, a missionary. In the missionary position? I'm, I think he was a missionary that just by, you know, Father... He was white. I mean, they didn't have Christianity until white people came in, so yes, it's pretty safe to assume that he was a missionary. Yeah. A man, wife, and sister-in-law were thinking about killing their brother because he was acting mad. They were afraid he was going to eat them. He wasn't eating anything else, and they reported that he was evil. So... That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you know. He's just evil. So... My brother-in-law is straight up just evil. I think he's going to eat me. I'm pretty sure I need to kill him. What's important to note is that at the time that this first case was occurring, the Algonquian-speaking peoples were experiencing a lot of disruption to their lives as more Europeans were moving in. Tribal boundaries were being disrupted. They were growing increasingly dependent on trading, um, trading the big game and fur to European settlers. And additionally, they were growing dependent on the foods that Europeans were bringing in, like peas, prunes, and bread. Mm. The big game animals, due to overhunting, were becoming scarcer. Members of the Montagnier tribe, where um, that's where this, uh, within this first case, it's members of the Montagnier tribe, were dying in great numbers from starvation and disease. The fear of turning into a Wendigo seems to increase as cases of cannibalism are reported. So when you're living in a in a society where starvation and lack of resources is a serious threat, mm -hmm. then cannibalism becomes a viable option to ensure your survival, as we've seen in different situations in Donner history. Donner party. Donner party, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. So Not in our situation when we have food readily available, donuts in front of my face. Right. Literally in front of Wine your face. in my hand, donuts in front of my face. <laughs> 
I am not thinking about eating another person. Right. But when you're starving in the middle of winter and you can't hunt because the Europeans have come and wiped out with the trading, then yeah, starvation is a real threat and you have to survive somehow. Mm-hmm. So it's really these changes in the environment, the changes in the culture that sparked the increase in the number of cases of quote-unquote Wendigo psychosis being reported. Well, I guess that makes kind of sense because so supply and demand, you have an influx of new people coming in that want to eat meat and you only have so many, it's a delicate ecosystem, you only have so many wild animals that you can hunt down and if you start hunting too much it puts a strain on the ecosystem in one area which puts strains on the ecosystem in other areas and like it just completely throws off the balance Mm -hmm. so it's interesting during the same time period the ojibwe tribes people the threat of the wendigo was basically non-existent Mm -hmm. that didn't exist in their tribe there were and there's several differences between the ojibwe and the montagnier tribes The Ojibwe had culturally accepted circumstances in which cannibalistic urges could be directed towards people who were not of the tribe. They didn't face the same threat of starvation. There was a lot more resources, and they still had the same issues with Europeans overhunting in the area or with, you know, um, members of the tribe overhunting and trading. But they lived in an area where large game was much more abundant. Mm Mm-hmm. So the threats of starvation weren't really there. They had access to the resources they needed. Interesting. And in the the book I was reading, or sorry, the journal I was reading, the psycholo- uh, Psychological Anthropology, it also stated that the Ojibwe had techniques of social control in their culture. It doesn't describe what these techniques are. So I, I don't exactly know if that means that the tribe just had a very strict social hierarchy, social organization, or if someone was mentally ill, if they had ways of dealing with that person, whether that be good or bad. Um, the Spartans, I think, kick people over the edge of a cliff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but essentially, they, during the same time that the Montagnier tribe was facing these threats of starvation and we're seeing these stories of Wendigo psychosis and the mythology of the Wendigo really becoming a a dominant part of the culture, Mm -hmm. it's not the same way in other Algonquian-speaking tribes. However, when the threat of starvation actually did become a threat to the Ojibwe, after, you know, the big game had been overhunted and the populations of moose and whatnot were decimated, then the patterns of uh, kinship and uh, those social control, they started to sort of falter. So it starts with one tribe and then China rolls along into the other tribes as time goes on, it's like not, a wave. It's not necessarily rolling through the tribes. It's more the environmental conditions that are in place. Mm. So what this psychological anthropology journal is reading, the point it was trying to make was that the Wendigo psychosis seemed to be very environmentally dependent. Okay. So depending on when food is readily available, when there's access to resources, then you're not seeing these stories of Wendigo psychosis. It's when the threat of starvation and a harsh winter is here, then you have people who are being pointed out as suffering from Wendigo psychosis. Got it. And suddenly this mythology of the Wendigo comes becomes a dominating, threatening force. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. In July of 1837, Charles Mackenzie, who worked at a trading post, recorded that 100 Indians arrived. Sorry, just saying Indians because that's... That's what he wrote? That's what he wrote. Uh, they arrived fleeing a Wendigo. The trading posts at this time were seen seen as a symbol of protection against the Wendigo. And if you're looking at this from an anthropological perspective, then the trading post is where all the resources are. (laughs) So no longer the threat of starvation. None of them were able to come to any sort of agreement on what this Wendigo actually looked like, but they were running from it all the same. The Wendigo mythology is what provided a basis for Wendigo psychosis to really become a thing. It's the threat of famine and starvation from environmental stressors and cannibalism as a necessity for survival. Which would have been a taboo and they would have created the myth to 
Exactly. If you look at other tribes like the Iroquois, for Mm -hmm. example, they didn't see cannibalism as taboo as long as it was against a a different tribe. Got it. Like the warriors could... um, They're not the same. It's fine. Yeah, like they would actually view it as perfectly socially normal and acceptable behavior to cannibalize a member of a different tribe. And so for them, you don't see these this mythology of the Wendigo. And you see that in other tribes as well. Cannibalism is a socially acceptable part of the culture. But in these tribes where cannibalism is not acceptable, where it's seen as a aberrant behavior, mm-hmm. then that's those are the tribes, like the Algonquian-speaking peoples, they viewed the they viewed cannibalism as aberrant behavior, and they were the people who created had this, the legend of the Wendigo. Yeah, the mythology of the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, another important thing to note about cannibalism, in particular, is that there have been cases, or there has been research that can show that it's sort of addictive. So people who have engaged in cannibalistic acts have reported floods of dopamine, much like you would get if you consumed drugs or, you know, if you snorted some cocaine, you would get this flood of dopamine. I wonder if it's like because they know they're doing something they shouldn't do, like how a person who cheats on their spouse gets a rush because they know they shouldn't be doing it and it's the thrill of not getting caught or getting caught that makes it attractive. It could be. It could be a lot of different things, but you get that flood of dopamine and it it stimulates the reward pathways in your brain and, you know, that's... I ate something. Nothing bad happened. It makes you want to do it again. Somebody again! Kuru. uh, I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that correct because it's only four letters. (laughs) But I don't know. Help us if we're not pronouncing these words correctly. If I can't pronounce a four-word letter correctly. So Kuru is sort of the equivalent of bad cow disease. Okay. So it's caused by humans who cannibalize. A human eats another human, they could possibly contract Kuru, and it's caused by the transmission of abnormally folded prion proteins, and it can cause tremors, loss of coordination, and neurodegeneration. Oh, okay. Okay, that explains a couple movies. (laughs) I'm sorry, there are a couple movies where they're like, okay, if he's shaking like that, he's been eating like people and you know he's not a good person don't Mm -hmm. let him in and i was like why would he be shaking if he's eating a human and you just explained it thank you you're welcome thank you you've just explained so so many movies to me so this could kind of feed into say you're you're in a situation of starvation you consume a human you contract kuru and now you have these other very obvious symptoms and to other people you appear to be probably not quite sane because you have a disease to be a tweaker yeah so it's it's not very surprising to me that you know someone could assume that like oh this person is a wendigo because they're acting very different one of the later cases in 1879 was from um or about this guy named swift runner He was executed for killing and eating eight members of his family. He claimed he had been possessed by a wendigo. Before Swift Runner was arrested, he spoke to priests in his village. He claimed that his entire family had died of starvation, and he seemed sort of proud of the fact that he didn't die of starvation like the rest of them. And this was, you know, it was during the winter. There's very little food. And he's like, everyone else died, and I I didn't die. So I read that the... Priest started becoming suspicious because he was didn't look like he was anywhere yeah, I'm getting near to that. Yeah. close to starvation. Yeah, he didn't look malnourished at all, and so the priest was like, okay, a little suspicious. He was Either- also, for a while, he was an upstanding member of the community. He was working for the Mounties at the time as a guide until he developed like a drinking problem and got sent back to his tribe, and then his tribe kicked him out for his drinking problem. And that's when he, like, just went into the woods. Um, when Swift Runner left the priests and he went back home, the priest contacted the police. And the police went to his home and discovered remains of human bones and flesh. Oh, see, I read that it was when he tried to lead a group of children into the woods again that they were like, mm, maybe we shouldn't stop you right there and contact the police. Oh, we need to compare There's our sources. There's a bunch of different stories. There's a lot of different stories, and... My story ends with Swift Runner confessing to the murder and being hanged. 
Oh, you're missing all the gory parts, though. Okay, go ahead. So he, the Mounties demand that they, that he bring them to his um, winter camp. And once they're there, they find just bones strewn about the entire place. It's a fucking mess. Bones have been snapped in half and are like hollowed out, which means he sucked the marrow out of them. So was he cooking them? I don't know. They found a pot full of human fat. Okay, well, he would have had to be cooking them to suck the marrow out and like break them in half. I, I don't know. I don't think he's that strong. Maybe, I mean, maybe not a femur, but like, I feel like you could snap. I have snapped big branches in half by using my foot and a rock as leverage. Okay. I guess. Bones are strong. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyways, they found the pot of full of human fat and Swift Runner claims that he was possessed by the, the Wendigo spirit. But when this goes to trial, nobody's buying this excuse and they take a whole of 20 minutes to deliberate and find him guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes the first man legally hanged in Alberta, Canada on December 20th, 1879. Before his death, he converts to Catholicism. He gives a big speech admitting that he's guilty. But my absolute favorite part from my source comes not from him, but from somebody who is a spectator of the execution. He, by the source, he is described as an execution connoisseur. Okay. <laughs> And he said that this was his 29th hanging that he had witnessed. And he described it as the prettiest hanging I've ever seen. That is not creepy at all. Holy shit, what the fuck? Arrest this person at the spot. He is at least getting his rocks off by watching people hang. Or he is committing murders himself. Oh my god. What the hell? I know what anyone that describes themselves as a execution connoisseur should be. He didn't describe himself as that. The website described him as that. Which okay, if we're not going to be wine connoisseurs, which we obviously aren't, and I (laughs) don't want to be a coffee connoisseur, my next reach is execution connoisseur. Wait, what? I'm saying driving go around the country watching people be executed and make it our thing. Um, I'm gonna let you do that on your own because I have no desire to see people be executed. I I don't find it as... Come on, we could sip a bottle of Chianti and just be like, mm, that was the prettiest little execution I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, did you see the way he dropped, dear? Not well, even a twitch in the leg. The way his drool hung from his lip as he was being executed... My, my. Okay. This is like... It shivers the bones. I know Swift Runner murdered eight members of his family, but... No, I'm not talking about Swift Runner anymore. I'm talking about this person who is apparently an execution connoisseur that I... I love this. He is a psycho. Oh my god. Wow. Jeez. I wish I had more information on him. Right? He is who I, I want to talk about. I need a name. I need a history. A Where genealogy. What is this dude's story? What is he doing now? I mean, he's pretty sure he's dead now unless he's the devil, which he might be. Who knows? Oh my god. But yeah, that person. Alrighty then. So, that is what I got about Swift Runner. That's definitely more information than I got. I don't know where you're getting your sources, man. I look for sources that end in like org, edu. Org is not as reputable as you want to believe. No, but... It's very easy to get a .org. I can get one in like 15 minutes. It costs me two bucks. Yes. It's not reputable just because it says .org, but usually if it's, say, a nonprofit organization who has collected resources and they say, these are our sources where we have gathered this information, that's the type of sources I look for. Yeah, I do that too, but this time I was like, this is just really interesting. Sometimes it's more fun just to have extraneous information. Yeah, sometimes, especially this man. Our execution connoisseur. (laughs) So I guess in conclusion regarding Wendigo psychosis, because a lot of things I've read, well, Wendigo psychosis is a real disorder, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's not considered a disorder. It's not to discount the symptoms that that occur, because clearly those are very real to a population of people. But it's 
it's considered a culturally bound syndrome. So it's a lot more boring than you want it to be. It's a lot more, yeah, it's not as exciting as, you know, just being able to suddenly get this disorder where you become a cannibal. Yeah, I was reading about it very briefly. It says like, oh, it's the fear that you might turn into a Wendigo and eat somebody. There are similar syndromes. So for example, Cotard syndrome, um, which is also known as the walking corpse syndrome. And this individual is usually suffering again from some sort of psychotic delusions, a mood disorder, or some other medical medical condition. And they might think that they're dead. All of their blood and organs have been removed and that their soul has been removed. Uh. So that's one of the other syndromes that sort of falls parallel to Wendigo psychosis. And then again, people who are suffering from other forms of psychosis, they can make statements or they can engage in different behaviors, whether these are very, um, you know, sudden behaviors that haven't ever happened before, or if there are things that happen over and over again, matter, but they are very out of the norm, such as someone just suddenly deciding to cannibalize someone else. It's very out of the norm. 139 people, yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly out <laughs> That's of the norm. That's a little bit out of the norm. It's a little bit hard to believe if you ask me. So if if I suddenly came to you and I said, I have Wendigo psychosis, that would be pretty... It would be more of a Hollywood sensationalized thing than mm-hmm. an actual thing. If, if that you makes came to me sense. and said, I, I'm afraid I might eat somebody, then I'd be like, okay, why do you feel like you need to eat somebody? Then I would probably just be suffering from some sort of psychosis. Some sort but of high psychosis. I mean, yeah. the, essentially what... The research and the history of this disorder that, you know, goes along with the mythology is that Wendigo psychosis was really bred within an environment where people were suffering from starvation and they had people who had invaded their land and taken their resources and they really didn't have anywhere else to turn. And the mythology of the Wendigo was sort of already there because these societies had been through harsh winters and they had dealt with the threat of starvation before. And so adopting that into this sort of psychosis Mm -hmm. was the behaviors transferred quite smoothly. And um, I'm also trying to thought. Do you get like this with patients where you get on a rant and you're just like... I do, actually. (laughs) I just start talking about something and then all of a sudden like... I'm not going to finish this thought. and I'm just going to stop right here. <laughs> this is good. This is where I want to end. This is where I want to end it. I had a conclusion, but nope, we're going to wrap it up right now. Conclusions suck. You're just repeating statements that you've already made. Exactly. If you really want to know what I think, go back and listen to what I just <laughs> go said. Go back and reread the whole thing again. That's my conclusion. Literally, when I was writing conclusions in school, I would literally just take sentences from different paragraphs and just paste and them And copy in. and paste. Wow. I passed these classes that I did this in. Not surprised. People let you get away with a lot of shit. They really do. Especially if you ramble on about something for 20 minutes. Yeah, then you're just like, okay, just shut the fuck up here today. Yeah. Anyways, what do you think about Wendigos? Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your conclusion. Honestly, after reading about the Wendigo psychosis, I feel like it was a mythology that was birthed in just a society that experienced these struggles, Mm -hmm. and they came up with this folklore to sort of embody these struggles that they experienced. Yeah, I I guess I did talk about how these tribes came up with the Wendigo to kind of keep people afraid of actually eating people, keep it as a taboo. Um... I don't know, though. Like, I have a serious fear of Wendigos. I've... you afraid someone's... One of them is gonna come into your bedroom at night? I have literally been kept up at night because I watched a YouTube video of Wendigos. Of the YouTuber Markiplier playing Until Dawn. I swear to God. (laughs) I get so scared. I don't, like, jump scare, but I will watch it. That's your own damn fault. It is. Um... So I don't know. Part of me is like, oh my god, it's real because I'm so afraid of it. Other part of me is like, yeah, maybe it's just a legend. Let's just let it be a legend. Scary, though. Yeah. Uh, If you have comments, criticism, questions, hate mail, email us at thismythagainpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our blog, thismythagain.blueberry.com. Is it .net? Is it .net? Let me go to her website and we'll see. 
Have we been saying that wrong for like four fucking episodes? It is .net. Thismythagain.blueberry.net. Okay. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Listen to our other episodes, okay? <laughs> I'm tired of going Figure this shit out for yourself. Find us on Twitter at myth underscore this and use the hashtag this myth again and let us know what you thought or don't. I don't really care. Or your input is tell not us your own to me. Tell us your own Wendigo stories. Yeah, I'm sorry. If it's a antler type creature with like a deer head, it's not a Wendigo. It's a Navajo skinwalker. Yeah, which is a whole nother thing that maybe we'll do in the future. Whole nother thing. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. We'll see. Anyways, and where the Wendigos, so do we. Bye. 